As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow board member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors and you just don't know what to say to them, so you ignore them instead? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow men while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? In order to help, Leading Saints has put together the LGBT Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of the most popular sessions are available now to watch. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation, much like this podcast. We have articles at leadingsaints.org you should check out. A weekly newsletter you should subscribe to also has unique content. So let's jump into this week's episode. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability. Today I'm in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah with Dan Duckworth, a fellow board member of Leading Saints. How are you, Dan? Good, Kurt. Nice. And uh, you don't just, you know, being a board member of Leading Saints isn't quite a full-time job. So you do some other things, right? Uh, what, on, what do I you, do some other things on the side. You do. <laughs> That's right. And, and what uh, when people ask you what you do, uh, what are you doing? Well, I tell them that I've got an online community for what I call change makers. And then mm-hmm. they say, what's a change maker? So I talk to them about that. Yeah. And then, you know, what I really do is, is I'm making leadership development accessible to people outside of the business context. Yeah. And, and it's been awesome. I've been involved in a lot of the, a lot of the, I don't know what you call them, the, the, uh, programs or things that, the, yeah. that you put together, the content has been awesome. And seeing the, the community online is, it's inspiring uh, people all over the world chatting and, sharing ideas and, and it's been awesome. So, yeah. One of the interesting things about it is it's primarily members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who have joined so far, but not everybody. And so we get a, we get some other people who are mixing in there. And I actually had one guy write a post and after being a couple of days in the community, he said, so is this an LDS community? (laughs) Like what, what is this? And so we had some conversation back and forth and he's now one of our most involved members. He's heavily involved. Oh, cool. So he kind of got over his initial culture, you know, shock. Yeah. And he liked it. Yeah. And you're currently working on this, uh, the purpose workshop that it's four week workshop that you're going to do in July all around the concept of purpose. Uh, Right. And uh, you reached out to me as far as whether this would be a great topic. And obviously, Dan, the door's wide open to Dan Duckworth on the podcast. I think that so many people have enjoyed the content that uh, you've shared here. And so, Let's jump into purpose. And and I'm intrigued, you know, you wrote a, just a, a small ebook. I mean, I read it in about 40, 40 minutes. I mean, it's not nothing heavy, but nonetheless has the concepts in there to really think about purpose differently. So what, what like pushed you towards, I mean, you don't just randomly grab a leadership topic. I know that's not your style and just thought, well, we'll talk about this. So what, what was it about purpose that pushed you to write the the book, Stop Asking Why? Well, the interesting thing, so purpose is very cliche yeah, in the leadership right? industry, right? People are always talking about it. There's a thousand books about it. And I've taught purpose in leadership workshops for a number of years, but I really don't like the way that we teach it. And over the years, I got more and more sort of, you know, just having a struggle with with the way that we teach this and just recognizing it doesn't really lead to great change. Hmm. So I kind of stopped. I gave it up. And yet people were always asking me about purpose. And what about my purpose? And there was like bringing up purpose. And I got to find my purpose. And yeah. that was always the answer to every problem. Well, if I just knew my purpose. And so it just kept coming up over and over again. And I was thinking about this the other day because I'm not exactly sure where I, where I went from resisting this topic 
to saying, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to write a book about it. I'm going to make videos about it. I'm going to host a workshop about it. Like, where did that transition point come? And I remembered sitting spring break in Florida, Jolene's grandma, she's 90 or 91, I think. And she lives in a trailer, in a trailer park in central Florida. Now, this is a lady who probably never leaves her trailer. Maybe once a week, she might walk three doors down to her (laughs) sister's house or something like that, Uh right? Just great lady, salt of the earth. So we get there on a Sunday and she's not a member of our church, but she is Christian. And we said, so how's your morning? She says, oh, I've just been listening to my weekly church show on TV, which is how she gets her church. And we said, well, how was it? She said, oh, it's so good. It was so amazing. But now I got this problem. And we're like, well, what's the problem? She said, well, the, the pastor said that everybody needs a cause. And if you don't have a cause, you can't be happy. And of course, she's just like everybody else in this world. She's 91 years old. She's been a widow for, I don't know, seven or eight years now. You know, She lives in an area of the country where her family is very difficult for us to get there. She's in search of meaning. She's in search of purpose. And so yeah. she looks at us, she says, I don't know what my cause is. What's my cause? And that hit me in a couple of different ways. The first way is that is crazy that a 91-year-old lady is still looking for a cause for meaning, right? You never just sit back and go, well, I'd lived my life, yeah, right? I'm just kind of enjoying the golden years or whatever. No, she's 91 and still looking for a cause. The second thing that hit me was what's hit me repeatedly with the way leadership gurus teach purpose, which is we are not helping people. Because we set them up and we say, you have to find your purpose, but we set them up for something that cannot be answered. We ask the question that can't be answered. Hmm. And then they sit there and churn over and over again and they feel broken because everybody else apparently has their purpose, like some kind of bumper sticker on the back of their car. And I'm like, where's my bumper sticker? Where's my purpose? (laughs) And so I sit around and I'm like, 91-year-old grandma, feels exactly the same way that 50-year-old executive or 25-year-old upstart that I've been working with, they feel the exact same way. Yeah. Yeah. And so would you say like, because there's a, we, we talk a lot about like vision as well. Like is it synonymous, is purpose synonymous with vision or are these just words? So, well, they are just words, right? So yeah. this is all swirling around purpose, mission, vision, yeah. values, all the keywords, all the buzzwords, right? And the truth is I didn't really have a good handle on the distinction of these things. So that's why when I decided to do this, like this was not a minor thing for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, this, I'm going to be reading Aristotle and I'm going to be like <laughs> going deep into this and trying to really understand what is the distinction? Like, what are we talking about when we throw these words around? And, and so that's what I've been doing for the last three months. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what do you hope as you, you know, wade into this world of, of purpose and teaching on it and, and talking about it, what do you hope you hope people walk away with like a statement of a purpose or what do you hope they, what, what should people want walking into this? So actually the exact opposite. I'm going to give you the statement. Okay. We give away the content in the workshop for free. So the ebook is free, uh-huh. right? We, we don't, we don't need to sell you that because the workshop is doing the work, mm-hmm. right? We, we're not selling you the tools. We're going to actually say, come to our workshop and use the tools. The ideas are the tools. So as I'm doing all this research and I'm having some ideas come to me about the nature of purpose and what is purpose and so forth, like all of a sudden it just hits me. And there's a story behind that, but I don't know that we need to share that here, but it just hits me. I'm like, I know what the purpose of life is. I'm not the only person that knows, but like, and it's the same for everyone. Uh The purpose of life is to wander. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to wander from situation to situation in search of meaning. And the problem with the search for the holy purpose statement, which is the way that the leadership industry teaches it now, problem with sending people out on the search for the holy purpose statement is it tells them that wandering is bad hmm. and that we're trying to eliminate wandering. And if you're wandering, you must, be, you must have a problem. And so you need to go find your purpose so you can stop wandering. But what I realized through all this research and design thinking, it's like, no, all the great thinkers get it. It's to wander. You're not here to fulfill some grand assignment. It's not about your vocation. It's about you learning how to make meaning in every situation that you find yourself in. And you have so much less control over that than you like to think, and especially that the leadership gurus want you to think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, you start out in the the book about this concept of a monastery trap, and and this sort of relates to some of the things you've already said, but uh, what what does, when it comes to 
to a purpose, like how do we, what, what is this trap and what does it look like so we can yeah. recognize it? Yeah. This comes from a, a phrase that I started saying, you know, years ago when I started resisting the way we teach purpose in the industry is I would say, man, you just want me to go up into the mountains. You want me to seclude myself in a monastery and you want me to meditate there until a single pithy statement materializes in my mind. And that single pithy statement is going to thereafter govern every choice in my life across every aspect of my complex life for the rest of my life. Uh And that's just insane to me when I stop and think about that, right? So that idea of going up into the monastery, it's metaphorical. I mean, there are definitely opportunities to go and seclude yourself in some of these programs and things that are offered, but the monastery is your psyche, Mm -hmm. okay? And when I was reading Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, he started to talk to this more clearly. And that's where I understood that what I was talking about when I was talking about the monastery trap was your psyche. And the psyche, the psyche does not hold your purpose. Your purpose exists. It is. Your purpose is to wander. Hmm. And if you want to go make meaning, you have to get out of your psyche and you have to go in the world and start living your life. Because we typically look for purpose deep in, in our soul type of thing. Like exactly. it's, it's part of our DNA and, and yeah. we first have to uncover that and then we can go do purpose. So, yeah. so put this in like... Introduce it in the context of, of being a Latter-day Saint. I mean, because we, you know, the purpose of life, I, I know exactly what I want to rattle off to you, Dan, is like, uh, well, the purpose of life is to come here and to gain a body and understanding and progress and become like our Father in Heaven, right? So put this concept of purpose in, in the context of being a Latter-day Saint. I actually have a whole chapter in the book about God versus man and uh-huh. discussions about the, the religious connotations or the faith-based connotations yeah. of some of these arguments. I think what happens a lot as a Latter-day Saint is you you grow up and, and the, the message that you and I were hearing as 15-year-old members of the church is the same message that is being told to our children as 15-year-old members. And that is, you are special. You're distinct from everybody else. Mm-hmm. The rising generation, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's not true, but I'm saying the way that that's being interpreted, and especially I think it's, it's more so in today's world. Because even my kids, your kids, they all speak this same language. They walk away and they go, I'm just not sure what my purpose is. I was at girls camp last night. Okay, that was my first experience. I was like, you know, <laughs> initiation rights right there. But I was at girls camp. It happened to be the testimony meeting. I was just a dad there, you know, volunteering. And as I'm sitting there, we have a large group of girls, probably, there's probably 40 girls there. And the amount of instability or insecurity or disorientation in terms of where they stand in their life, it's phenomenal. The world has done a great job, maybe Satan, I don't know, has done a great job of creating monastery traps. These girls live in their psyches. They are trapped What do you there. mean by that? Like what, what's a... The, they, exactly. are, they spend their days and their weeks and their nights processing and thinking about who am I? Where do I belong? Mm. Where do I fit in? I'm told that I'm supposed to be doing this, but I don't feel this and I don't feel that. And they're just constantly churning and thinking. Yeah. And then they stand up there at a girls camp and you are so grateful that they feel that they can talk authentically. But at the same time, your heart just aches because you go, wow, like this, th- these, are not, these are not kids that are rock solid in the gospel because they're not rock solid in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they're, they're interpreting all the information around them, even bit sitting in a, a girls camp testimony meeting of, okay, these people are standing up. This is what they're saying. What does that mean about me? And, exactly. and, and, and where's my place in this? And maybe I should stand up, but what am I going to say? And, and yeah. they're, so they're sort of trapped in their psyche like that, like in their head, right? Like they're, they're processing what is trying to reflect, reflect everything back on them rather than being open and stepping into a, a larger journey. Yeah. One of my favorite analogies is the Lego movie which is now a couple of years old. So maybe some people don't know, but in the Lego movie, there's a prophecy, right? That the world is going to come to Armageddon and that one person will rise up and save the world. And they call this person the special. Well, what you find out through the course of the movie is that pretty much all of the talented people out there want to be the special. Yeah. And so they grow up and this is a great analogy for life because I think, I think in general, people feel this way. But I think especially amongst Latter-day Saints, especially people who have been raised in the church, they grow up thinking, I'm the special. I have a special mission. God is going to give me an assignment. Like I'm here for a reason. And that reason is beyond the normal reason. Like, oh yeah, I'm here to start a family and, you know, but like, I'm going to do something amazing as yeah, well. Right? right. Right. And so we're, we're as Latter-day Saints, we're kind of like hoping for that, expecting that. 
And at some point in your life, it doesn't go that way. And so now you have to do what the psychologists call sense-making, where you have to make narrative. You have to start to find a story to tell yourself why it's not going that way. And, and when you feel that tension as a, a 12-year-old who didn't get called into a special calling or didn't get the grades or didn't get the family or didn't get the whatever, you start to say to yourself, well, either I missed it, something's wrong with me, or maybe God doesn't love me, mm-hmm. or maybe God doesn't exist. Or maybe the church that's making me feel like I'm supposed to be doing amazing things, the culture of the church, maybe it's not true. Why? Because when I tell myself it's not true, then I can let go of that pain that I feel at not being special. Mm. Or if I tell myself God doesn't love me or doesn't exist, then I can say, well, that's, I don't have to feel pain anymore because that, was, that wasn't true. Yeah. And so is it the, the problems with this premise of setting up that, you know, like with a youth group telling them all, no, you are special, like you are meant to for something. Cause that seems like a, a positive enforcing message, right? That, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, you're you got purpose, you got a meaning I mean, God created you. So how do we adjust that so that that trap doesn't, they don't fall into that trap? Or- well, it's not even just the youth because I mean, I am finding with this message, the workshop's already open. So people are in there talking, having conversations. And we've got 40, 50-year-old men and women who are basically saying the whole premise of my life is changing because I've been in search of a purpose. And now I'm recognizing that my purpose is to search for meaning. Mm. Like my purpose is given and now I'm supposed to search for meaning. What is that? How do you search for meaning? It's, it's you fulfill the life that you want to live. That's how you find meaning. If you're living the life that you want to live, if you're pursuing the self-ideal, the universal self-ideal, then you feel fulfilled, right? And the, the great thing about that, Kurt, is that when you, when you need a purpose, you resist fate. You resist the circumstances that God or your parents or your society or history has imposed upon you. And you say, I don't like this because I can't be who I want to be in these circumstances. Then the mindset flips when you realize that your purpose is to wander and you embrace fate, you embrace the circumstances and you say, this is where God has placed me or history or fate. And my job is to learn how to be who I want to be in this situation. Hmm. Yeah. Because we can often see fate as sort of, it's a punishment for God or we did something wrong. Yeah. He had a purpose for me. I messed up somewhere along the way, lost the opportunity. And this fate is sort of a result of that. And, you know, and and that can, you know, that's not a good place to be because it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a growth mindset in that, in that state of mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, fixed growth, fixed mindset, growth mindset for sure comes into play with this because when you recognize that the, the purpose of life is to wander, that is a, that is a very good growth mindset to be in because mm-hmm. now you're saying, how do I live the life I want to live in this situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and wander is different than, than being lost, right? Because wander almost has this, uh, it has a purpose to it because you're wandering in, in the search of something greater, right? And, and, and seeing how you can grow in, in whatever, situation, whatever situation you wander into. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So you'll, you'll recognize from the book, the quote from J.R.R. Tolkien, yeah. who wrote The Lord of the Rings. He said, not all who wander are lost. And that, I tell the story in there about how I came to that quote. I had read The Fellowship of the Ring, but I never picked up on that. Mm-hmm. Until um, we were having an experience and, and my wife handed this piece of art to me that has a subscription on it. And we're basically looking at that going, okay, we are wanderers. At the time we were living in an RV, driving around the country with mm-hmm. no purpose. We had no purpose, Kurt. Yeah. Like, honestly, we were just trying to survive and just keep moving. That was the only thing. And so she hands this to me. She says, here, I think this means something. I don't know what it means. And so I looked at it. Not all who wander are lost. Yeah, you're right. This means something because we are wandering. We have no purpose. And yet we've never felt more alive and more whole and more human. We are not lost. So he's got something here. I don't know what it means. We hung it up on the trailer wall. It wasn't until, you know, it's been three, three years since we were in the, in the RV living full time. It wasn't until I was preparing this workshop. Well, all of a sudden I was literally just neck deep in research. And all of a sudden it just hit me. Boom. Not all who wander are lost. The point is we are all wandering. A hundred percent of us are wandering. Uh You cannot escape it. It's in your nature. The distinction is whether you're wandering aimlessly 
or wandering purposefully. But purpose doesn't resolve wandering. You're still wandering. Yeah. Yeah. So put this in the context of like a leader who's trying to encourage those that they're leading, right? Maybe a bishop who's meeting with people or a relief society president who's trying to lead a relief society where, you know, we sometimes default to this, uh, well, God has a plan for you. Like, this is all part of God's plan. And that, that feels different than the wandering message a little bit where, so how can we overlay that, the wandering message with, uh, the, with God's plan, right? That, that we all want to hold on to. Yeah, I think that we overemphasize. So we want to say God is in the details of the details of the details of our lives. Like that's, that's the new thing to say, right? Because uh-huh. one of the sisters said that in her talk and it just resonated, right? Yeah. There's so much truth in that. Like there's a true statement, but we interpret it the way that we want it to be. We want that to mean, oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to be able to eliminate uncertainty, mm-hmm. right? And we hear asking you shall receive, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And we go, oh, that's going to eliminate all the uncertainty in my life. Or the one I've been studying this week with 2 Nephi 32, oh, I forgot the verse, eight, Somewhere eight and nine, something <laughs> like that. But it's the one where he says, you know, the Holy Ghost will tell you all things what you should do. Uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to study this verse because that sounds like it's contradicting the things that I'm saying. And so I really want to ponder this and all the cross references and all that stuff, right? And then it emerged for me as I was studying this, the Holy Ghost will tell you all things what you should do. Yeah. There are some things in your life that you should do. Like you should hmm. be kind. And the Holy Ghost will tell you to be kind and you should get baptized mm-hmm. if that's God's plan for you. And you should get baptized and you should, whatever, like there are some things you should do. Yeah. But what we, we read that and we interpret it as the Holy Ghost will tell you all things to do. Right. Like yeah. all things. All things, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then we, how, and then we say, well, how do you square that with it's not me that you should be commanded in all things? Yeah. Well, the way that I square it is that there are some things you should do. Most of them are general principles. They're about living the life you mean to live. They're about living like Jesus Christ, but they're not about where you should move. They're not about whether you should quit your job. They're not about whether you should speak to your boss today and ask him a certain question. Like most of those things are, that's on you. Like I, I created the plan. I created the space for you to wander. You're here to wander. And as you wander, you will receive confirmation along the way, not in the monastery trap, not in the psyche, not in the preconception of the activity, but along the way, the Holy Ghost will confirm to you, hey, you're becoming the person that you want to become. Yeah. Not necessarily, we, 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 want to re, we want to interpret that and say, oh, I'm doing exactly what God told me to do and outlined for me in the pre-existence. No, 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 no. You could have done a thousand things that would help you become the person that you want to become, but the Holy Ghost is letting you know, this is a good thing to be working on because this one is helping you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's that, like that certainty that we, we crave, like our mind craves. We just want that certainty that, oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing everything I should, like all the check boxes that God has sent me, I'm, I'm marking them off. But oftentimes there's no, there's no check box. And, and, uh, I found in my own personal experience, it's, you know, it's not the, it's not the moments where I ask, you know, in prayer something. And then that answer, the Holy ghost tells me all things I should do, but it's more of like, I, I pray about something and then I go off wandering sort of in the landscape of whatever, you know, wherever my life is at. And then I stumble across some things and I'm taught, you know, at various stages as I'm wandering rather than as I'm kneeling, they're waiting for the answer. Yeah. And you think about that with your church callings. Yeah. I mean, we take a very business-like approach to our church callings. We say, okay, I've now got this calling. I have to come up with a vision. Like, what is it that I'm supposed to do? Right. And mm-hmm. we are told like God called you for a reason. Right. But we, we want this certainty and Believe me, I teach the vision workshop as well as the purpose workshop. So there is a role and there is value in having vision, but having a vision is different than having vision. Okay. We want to have everything in our heads perfectly mapped out versus vision, which is being able to see things as they really are Hmm. and to see things as they really will be. Right. That's vision. That's the kind of vision that a seer has. And when you can develop that kind of vision for your calling or for your family or for your job, then all of a sudden, when you see things as they really are and as they really will be, if nothing changes, then you start to see things that you can change today that will change the future. So do I believe that God intervenes? Do I believe that God reveals things about the future? Yes. But I like the way that the, the author of The Alchemist put it, which is one of the books I studied yeah. for this, where he said, if God reveals the truth, it's because he wants it 
or sorry, if God reveals the future, it's because it's a future he wants to see changed. Hmm. Okay. So in other words, he can foresee, nah, it's not a good path for you because you're supposed to wander and make meaning. That's going to limit your opportunities or a community's opportunities to wander well. So let's change that. Let me show you the future so that you can change that. It's kind of like Mosiah 1, right? It's time. It, does God come to him and say, like, I want you to leave and I want you to go to this place and this is what's Or does he just simply say, if you stay here, bad things will happen? And then Mosiah goes, I think it's time to leave because God <laughs> yeah. said, if we stay here, things, bad things will happen. Yeah. Yeah. So what does this look like in practice? Like for an elder scorn president that wakes up on Sunday morning, is it, it you know, how does he wander during the day? Is it mainly, you know, in his mind, he's thinking, okay, I go to church at this time. We have elders quorum. This lesson's taught. Uh, this person's going to teach it. And then there's going to be visits. And then it's mainly t- putting on that that perspective of wandering, saying, but I'm going to, these are that's the agenda, but I'm just going to yeah. sort of wander through that that agenda and maybe just be open to, you know, maybe there's a purpose or I can find purpose of where I where I sit in elders quorum or or the comments I make, but what does that look like in practice? Yeah. So we have, everything we've been talking about has been the foundational philosophical principles. We don't even talk about those in the workshop. We have what we call the action principles, mm-hmm. the principles of basic wandering and principles of epic wandering. And I'm just going to talk about one right okay. now. It's ask the basic question. The basic question of life, no matter what situation you're in, it is how will you live the life you mean to live in this situation? Okay. So here's a story to illustrate asking the basic question in real life. Mm -hmm. So I'm at a basketball tournament for my son this last weekend, and I actually don't go to his summer games. I like to give him space, but he's been coming home telling me my playing time is going way down. I'm not feeling good vibes for my coach. Like things are not, things are really not going well. And so I felt like, you know, to be a good advisor to him. So this is the basic question. Okay. This is, this is fate. This is where you're at. Right. Mm -hmm. And to be a good advisor to him, I'm like, I need to go see for myself what's really going on here. So I go to the games one day and it's clear there is, there's a problem. Like there's a disconnect between the coach and my son. And so we're after the game, everybody's crowded around in the hallway of the school, dear old AF high American Fork high school. It's also my alma mater, go cavemen. (laughs) And we're standing in the hallway and I've got the tension that pretty much every parent of a high school athlete has ever had, which is, I don't like what's happening. I feel like I should go talk to the coach, but I can't talk to the coach because if I do, then it's going to probably backfire and harm my kid's chances. And so I'm just going to do nothing. Uh Okay. So I'm standing there in the hallway, feeling that tension, which I've felt for the last four years with this particular son. And then I asked myself the basic question. I said, what would you do right now if you were living the life you mean to live. And I said to myself, I really don't like having to silence myself. I really don't like having to play the politics of high school basketball or high school athletics in general. I don't like the way I feel when I sit in these games and I feel like I don't have a voice. I don't like turning my son over to somebody else who's having a dramatic influence on his emotional and mental well-being and not being able to have a conversation with him about my son's emotional and mental well-being. So I said, while the coach is giving his closing speech to the boys, like, what would you do? And I said, if I was living the life I wanted to live and I meant to live and I'd be proud of, and I was making meaning in this situation, I would go have a conversation with the coach. And so I walked up to him afterwards and I said, hey, coach, can I talk with you? And he said, sure. And I said, hey, you always said, let's have a day of rest. Let's take a break between a game and and uh, let's talk after, you know, heads of cool. I said, so can I come over tomorrow? He said, no, I'd rather just talk right now. So we had that conversation. It was not easy for me or for him, <laughs> right? Because neither of us wanted to be there. But what I can tell you is that my son has been with the team all week down in Cedar City, Utah, and they're on their way to Phoenix right now. And what I can tell you is that amazing things have started to happen in my son's life. I sent him to spend an hour on Sunday with another mentor of his and said, just go bear your soul to that guy because I know he's going to ask you the right questions. And then I said to my son, I want a five-minute video every night where you just talk to me about your mental and emotional goals, not about basketball. I said, this week is not about basketball improvement. I couldn't care less. This is about you learning to embrace your purpose, which is to wander well and become the kind of person you want to come. Because what I learned, here's the thing from the coach. What I learned from the coach is that, first of all, I disagreed like any parent would with 95% of what he said. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Okay. That's just, he should be starting every game and exactly. That's just, that's just the bias. Right. (laughs) So there it is. Right. And I told him that, so he knows. Right. (laughs) But I, I said, there's a nugget of truth in every piece of feedback. And when I got in the car with my son, he said, what did the coach say? I said, I'm not going to share anything with you because I need to process it because I want to be, I want to live the life I want to live. It's a basic situation, the basic question in this situation. So I can't just spout off to you right now because I know that I won't represent your coach fairly. And I won't represent the truth fairly because I'm too biased right now. So it was later that night when I pulled him and my wife in and I said, okay, I've been reflecting on coach's feedback and there's a nugget of truth in that. And the nugget of truth is you don't have a spark in your eye. And when he said that, I instantly knew he was right. He said, I want to put him back in the game, but I look down there and I just see someone who's not in a good place. And I said to my son, that's true. I saw that on the court, on the bench, you were not in a good place. Now, this is a very happy kid. Mm -hmm. He's the happiest kid, the chillest kid I've ever known, but he's not in a good place, which is why I went to the games because I was starting to get disturbed by that. And so the reflection was back to me was that isn't the coach's fault. That isn't even my son's fault. It's my fault Hmm. because I have cared way more about your basketball performance than I have cared about how you are developing, here we go, buzzwords from the church youth program, (laughs) how you are developing mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and I much prefer the word psychologically to intellectually. Uh And so I repented and I started working with him on that development and recalling that basketball is only a context for the man that he's becoming. It's not about basketball. That's a hard reset for a parent because we have so much ego built into that yeah. with our kids' performances, right? Yeah. And so and it goes back to starting with that, that asking yourself that question in the moment, do I go talk to the coach or do I, do I engage the politics of what's happening here? Right. And going and doing something that makes you uncomfortable because culturally it's taboo. But when you want to live the life you mean to live, you ask that question and it moves you into the culture. You lean into that discomfort that yeah. you know will come when you do something that you're not supposed to do culturally. Yeah. So I want to wear that question out. Again, what's the question in that moment that you can ask? How do I live the life that I mean to live in this situation? The question that matters isn't what is the meaning of my life? Yeah. The question is, what is the meaning of my life in this situation? Yeah. What is the significance? What am I going to become in this situation? Yeah. And I love that the context or the the phrasing of that question, because oftentimes as we, you know, seek for a purpose, even if we think we're wandering, it can feel like, well, there's a few steps. I have to quit my job. I have to go go back to school. I got to, or I got to go to do that thing I've always meant to do. But it, it really puts it in a practical place of, you know, this moment right here, not like once all this stuff happens, then I can live my purpose, but I can actually live the purpose right now in this situation, right? Yeah. So I told you before the interview, there's a guy in our, or maybe I said this on the interview, there's a guy that joined and he's not a member of our church. He's very, very engaged in the community. But when he first joined, it was like, Hey, I'm, I'm either atheist or agnostic. I'm not sure which one, but I'm not sure I want to be like (laughs) super involved in a religious community if that's what this is. Well, I love having him in my community because as I wrote this book, I had to think through what if this was coming from my perspective as a religious person Mm -hmm. and could I sustain these arguments outside of a religious context? Okay. So if you believe God created you and we send you on the search for the Holy Purpose Statement, because I've been doing all these podcasts with these Christian-based podcasters. So cool. There are so many cool podcasters out there who are doing such great work. Yeah. And I just, I love getting to know them as much as being, you know, me being on the show, giving a message. But they believe wholeheartedly that God will give you an assignment. Okay. And I call this the Harry Potter moment. Like you're waiting for your envelope to arrive in the mail that says you are chosen, you are special, and I have an assignment for you. And so that's what they're out there preaching. Like go get your assignment from God. So if you believe that, if you believe in God, then that's it. Go to the monastery and you can't live a life of purpose until God gives you your assignment. And I'm like, whoa, that is so damning. Because unless you're the prophet or maybe the bishop or someone like that, it's not coming. You have to wander. That's why we're here. And do I believe that God gives special assignments? Yes, I do. But I believe they're actually few and far between. And that for most of us, 
He didn't create us for that purpose. He created us to wander and to learn how to serve him and to love and to become like Jesus in every situation that we're in. Okay. Now, on the flip side, if you don't believe in God or if you believe that God doesn't care how you live your life, then it's on you to figure out what your vocation is, to figure out you have to sort through all of your complexities, everything that makes you you, and decide what is the one activity or the one vocation that I'm going to dedicate my life to. I'm going to judge the success of my life to this, by this, by how well I do with this. And that is, that is a whole lot of complexity to pull out of, or sorry, a whole lot of simplicity to pull out of a whole lot of complexity. Yeah. And so what is your purpose? Well, it's just is. Okay. So I love the way Aristotle put it. He said, if you want to know the purpose of something, you just have to look at the nature of the thing. You don't have to ask its creator. So even though I believe in God, I don't have to go to God and say, what's my purpose? I just have to look at myself and say, what makes me exceptional? Hmm. And as a human being, I'm exceptional because I have agency. I have the, the intellect and the autonomy to think and act with intention and to create. Now, create what? What would God create me to create? He can create worlds. He can create universes. What would he create me to create? It's my nature. It's evident. The only thing that he can't create, that's what he created me to create. And that's my story. That's mm. my journey. That's my life. And that's my being. That's my, my ultimate outcome of who I'm becoming. That's the one thing that God can't create because the only way to create it is by me thinking and acting. Yeah. Yeah. And this is so applicable to like, it, as we find ourselves in these different callings, because there's sort of this tradition of like, well, we got to seek God's will in everything we do. And what does God want for, you know, the, the American Fork second ward and this on this street. And, and we get trapped in this part of this trap of like, okay, now we, we have to go in our Bishop's office, close the door and sort of pray and hum for a minute until that scroll from heaven comes down. When in reality, God's like, you know, I put in you to create. And so go wander, right? Like maybe it is that strange barbecue idea you want to do, like go wander down that that path and see where it takes you, right? And was it meaningful? Right. Yeah. And, and you'll feel fulfilled if it was, you'll walk away and say, that was meaningful. Yeah. So here's another real life example for, for us. So my wife got called to the primary president right before COVID. Well, a couple of months, but just mm -hmm. barely got up and running and then COVID happened. And so now she's kind of like getting a fresh start as the primary president. And she was filled with tension over this. And so I was kind of trying to be a nice husband and like, oh yeah, you know, everything okay? Like, what can I help with what's going on? And, and I, I uncovered this tension that was going on about what to do the first week back. And I said, what do you want to do? She said, I want to hold a party. I said, okay, hold a party. She said, I can't. I said, why not? She said, because we're not allowed to hold parties. So who told you you can't hold a party? She said, well, it's church, it's Sunday, it's, the, you know, it's primary, we're supposed to come in and have singing time and have a talk and a prayer and separate and go to our rooms. And like, that's what we're supposed to do. And so we talked about this for a while. And then I asked her the basic question. I said, okay. And there's variations of the basic question, right? So I said, okay, if you were in charge of a children's group who had just spent a year and a half away from church and were feeling all of the tensions and stress of that, but also all the tensions and stress of coming back and you were trying to orient them towards the future, like, and you didn't have a boss, and you were the founder. That's one of my favorite questions. If you were the founder of this organization, what would you do if you didn't have to answer to anybody? And she said, it's easy. I'd have a party. And I said, well, it's time for you to start doing your calling because God called you to do it. Mm -hmm. So just do it. And if the bishop has a problem with it, he'll reach out to you and say, hey, this one crosses the line. Right. Well, guess what? Nobody said this one crosses the line. <laughs> so here we are first week back. And the primary brought noisemakers and all the kids are marching around outside <laughs> yeah. and they're sitting outside on the grass and they're having a parade and a celebration of celebrate the return to primary. Yeah. Okay. Now, is that the answer for everybody? Right. Should we go on Pinterest and tell people this is what y'all should have done? Absolutely not. Right. But that's who she is. Yeah. That's her gifts. That's her talents. That's what she found meaningful. If she had done anything else in that situation, because her intuition had already told her what the answer was, what the approach was. And if she had done anything else, she would have felt unfulfilled. She would have felt hollow. Yeah. Okay. 
But by doing what she, by living the life she means to live in that situation, she walked away having a great experience. Now, here's the leadership principle of this. In the research, we call it transformational leadership. When you are living the life you mean to live, you become magnetic. It's called moral power. People look at you and they say, wow, I'm here to find out how to live a meaningful life in every situation. And you're living a meaningful life, not because I want to copy you, but because you're clearly feeling joy. You're clearly feeling fulfilled. So I think I'll follow you because you might be able to show me how to live like that. And that's a magnetic principle that draws people into you and your influence with them dramatically increases. Yeah. And my mind is going to so much like connecting all these things to doctrine. When you mentioned like the doctrine of agency, right? Like God made us agents of action, right? And, and going back to Elder Bednar's favorite scripture, 2 Nephi 2.14, like we are, there are things created to to act and things to be created, acted upon. And sometimes we lock ourselves or back ourselves into that corner of, I'm an agent for God to act on me. Like I'm, I'm the bishop. What do you want me to do, God? And I'll go do it. But he created me, us to be agents that, of action, right? To take action, to use that agency and wander and find deeper inspiration and purpose in, in, in our journeys. Yeah. Right? yeah. When I was doing corporate consulting, I can't tell you how many employees would say to me things like this re- relative to their bosses. Why doesn't he just tell me what to do? <laughs> I will do whatever he tells me to do, but I don't know what to do. And so they do nothing. Uh-huh. Well, that's the same exact posture that we hold with God. If he would just tell me what to do, I would do it. I'm a dutiful soldier. I'm a good little boy. I'm a good little girl. I'll do whatever he asked me to do. But what God asked you to do was to think and act with intention to create your life. Yeah. Okay. So here's the ironic thing. You cannot not think and act with intention. So when you choose to do nothing, you're writing your story. Yeah. Okay. So here's a great uh, discussion that's in the booklet. So what I find is that people often say, well, I don't know if it's my voice or if it's God's voice that's talking to me, right? My intuition. Is it my intuition or is it the Holy Ghost? I don't know. And the implication of that is if it's God's voice, I will obey immediately. Right. But if it's my voice, I think I'm going to think about it for a little while and just make sure because that doesn't, you know, there's some risk involved with that and some uncertainty, you know? And so we freeze and we do nothing. So now let's say that you are the kind of person that wants to live a life of leisure, but you're also the person who wants to live a life of productivity. Which one should you choose? Because they're kind of at odds with each other. Well, I would rather live a life of leisure or a life of productivity than a life of indecision. Mm-hmm. So just pick one and go, right? I would rather go do good in the world than sit around and wonder if God is asking me to do this good thing. Just go. And if God needs you to know that the message is from him, he'll sign the card, Yeah. right? Because with Nephi, he said, I'm going to lead you in a way that you will know it is by me that you are led. That was when he was crossing the seas. Then there was a time that he said, go get the plates. I'm not going to tell you how to get them. Oh, I'll send an angel down to interrupt your brothers killing you because I'm not quite ready for that scene to play out yet. Right, right. So there is some divine intervention, but the angel doesn't say, oh, and by the way, I know you failed twice already. Here's the, here's the answer. Yeah. He just goes back in, not knowing beforehand the things that he should do. But what? Nephi's the same guy that said, I will tell you, the Holy Ghost will tell you all things what you should do. Holy Ghost didn't tell him what to do to get the plates. He said, this is my fate. These are my circumstances. How do I live the life I want to live? Well, Laman and Lemuel wanted to live the life of going back with their tail between their legs. And Nephi said, no, no, no. The life that I mean to live is to follow through. I made a commitment to my father that I would not come back without these plates. And that's the life I mean to live. So I'm going to live that life right now. I'm just going to walk into the city knowing that I'm already a wanted man. And I'm going to see what happens. Okay. And then he just embraced fate and circumstances showed themselves. And there you go. Yeah. And then you wouldn't have never gotten there if you didn't wander into that, in that place. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have to share the scripture from uh, Anthony Sweat. It was the first one that that turned me on to this, but Doctrine and Covenants 128 verse 9 speaks perfectly of this. And I love how it it starts out. It says, it may seem to some to be a very bold doctrine. And I love that, that preface, like, I'm going to say something very bold right now, because Mm -hmm. we often think of Revelation as a one-way street. It's in heaven and it comes down here and then we act on it, right? And it says, a power which records or binds on earth and binds in heaven. Nevertheless, in all ages of the world, whenever the Lord has given a dispensation of the priesthood to any man by actual revelation or any set of men, 
This power has always been given. Hence, whosoever those men did in authority, or whatsoever those men did in authority in the name of the Lord, and did it truly and faithfully, and kept a proper and faithful record of the same, it became a law on earth and in heaven. And I just love that concept of like, when we make decision, when we're uh, when we act according to the authority, and sometimes that authority is agency, like it is stamped in heaven, like that is revelation, and it came from the earth up to heaven. Not so, it's a two way street rather than one way, and, and that's where we find deep purpose in wandering as we as we do that. You know, I love that, love that. Yeah, that's that's a fascinating scripture. So many so many parallels that come from the scriptures, and you had brought up already. Um, you know, Lehi talking about agency and things to act and not be acted on. And he also talks in that scripture about there must be an opposition in all things. Mm-hmm. Well, wandering presupposes opposition. The opposition is the uncertainty of not really knowing where this is all headed. I'm just going from situation to situation, trying to make meaning in these situations. But what we want to do today is we want to say, no, we want to eliminate the opposition. We want to make this easy for you yeah, and just get you going in this one direction. Now, my study of the Doctrine and Covenants this, you know, this year has been interesting because I think that the Doctrine and Covenants in some ways does us a disservice because we read these scriptures where people had access to an anomaly, which was the prophet Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith was compared to Moses. In other words, a once in a thousand or 2000 year prophet who speaks face to face and hears the voice of the Lord <laughs> yeah. in direct commandment and can basically has like an open conduit, right? In, in terms of pulling down the words from heaven. He's unlike any other prophet that we've had in this dispensation. Like that's why he was prophesied, right? So, but we see these people going to Joseph and saying, tell me what to do, right? Or we see Joseph receiving revelation saying, sell your house, buy this farm, go here, come back here. And like the directions are, are so clear. And so we tend, and I've had conversations with a lot of people who have been saying like, well, where, why isn't that happening for me? Why am I not getting that kind of direct revelation, if you will? And I think we have to keep in mind that like there was a time period where the Lord needed some things to happen that couldn't happen without a ton of divine intervention. And so is the Lord in the details of the details? Yes, because he cares about us and he loves us and the spirit will confirm and will comfort and so forth. But is he commanding in the details of the details? Absolutely not. Yeah. And if he did during that time period, it's because there was going to be events transpired that weren't going to enable his kingdom to get planted in that time period so that it could grow in the way that it needed to, to presage the second coming of Jesus Christ. So a lot of direct divine intervention, but the principles that I think matter most for us are the ones that start to come out, are starting now to come out in the Doctrine and Covenants. Things like it mattereth not, right? It mattereth not. Oh, but you were traveling on the waters and you were so worried about getting from point A to point B that you forgot to live the life that you mean to live in this situation. You thought the life you mean to live is to be a fast traveler, but it was actually to be a Christian and to be caring about the people on the other sides of the bank as you were going. So just quick pause. Let me remind you of the principle. Open your mouth minister to others while you're traveling, Hmm. while you're wandering, right? But it matters not whether you take the ferry or the canoe or the horseback or, you know, none of that that stuff really matters to me. You're going to get there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and then such a liberating principle and and really helpful. Anything as as far as the context of like leading an organization that wanders, anything else you'd add that that we haven't covered? Yeah. So a phrase that's been in my mind for some time. So we talk a lot about purpose-driven organizations, that I didn't really understand this phrase because I tend to have reactions to things that I don't understand and I just sit with them for a number of years until I understand them. Mm-hmm. But one of the phrases that came to me was, I don't think there's anything, any such thing as a purpose-driven organization. There are only organizations that are led by purpose-driven leaders. And I didn't really fully understand that until I had these epiphanies and these revelations with the Purpose Workshop and with the book, Stop Asking Why. And I started to realize that when you wander as a leader, the next, so number one, you have to wander. And then number two is how do you invite the community to wander with you? Hmm. Okay. So it's not the organization that is wandering well, or that's purpose-driven. It's that you are learning to invite other people to wander with you. And then your story and the community's story becomes the same story. 
and we can no longer tell the difference between the two. I mean, look at Joseph Smith. We're talking about DNC. Is it, are we talking about Joseph Smith's personal history here or is this the church history? They're the same thing. Yeah. Because as he's wandering, clearly, that's one thing that's clearly evident, rough stone rolling. Yeah. Have a read of that and you'll realize Joseph Smith really doesn't know what he's doing. And for, for all these revelations that he's getting, which are mostly about other people, he spends most of his time going, what am I supposed to do next? Yeah. I have no idea. And so he just makes meaning. Okay. Well, I'm in this situation. I'm preaching at this sermon. Uh, I'm traveling now with these guys down to, you know, uh, Missouri. Uh, what am I doing? You know, he's just trying to make meaning everywhere that he goes. And in the process, he gives the Lord so much to work with. Right. But that his story becomes the church's story. So if you want to be a purpose-driven relief society president, or, or sorry, you want to have a purpose-driven relief society, it's very simple. Start living with purpose. Start roaming with purpose as a relief society president, and the community will start to roam with you. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, this is what I'm learning, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's because you're not making the argument that you know having a vision or a specific purpose is necessarily out of bounds, but it's the vision gives us a direction we're going but we're going to wander as we head that way, right? Like, like God gave certain direction and, and commandments or purposes to Joseph Smith, but there was a lot of wandering that happened as he was headed that direction. But why didn't God just tell him what he was building? Yeah. Why didn't he say, okay, let's, let's lay this all out on stone tablets, okay? Mm-hmm. There's going to be a first presidency. There's going to be a quorum of the 12. There's going to be, you know... I don't know how many quorums of the 70 there are right now. There's going to be a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then we're going to have high councils. Like, why is it all mumble jumble? Because God is not going to violate the purpose for which he created us, which is to wander. So mm-hmm. Joseph Smith, Nephi, you name it. Like, even though they're going to do the work that the Lord wants them to do, it's going to be done through wandering. Mm-hmm. Okay. And God can foresee all things. So I do love the Neil A. Maxwell quote. It's been a long time since I read it, but he says something to the effect of, if God has a grand plan for humanity, then it's only reason that he has a plan for each human, mm-hmm. something to that, to that respect. I absolutely believe God has a plan for every human. And the plan is to give you the maximum opportunity to become like Jesus Christ, to repent and repent and repent and repent and repent as you wander. Okay. Yeah. So the plan is to keep the state of probation open for you as long as it makes sense so that you can continue to try and fail and try and fail and try and fail. And then look back and say, wow, I thought I was failing the whole time, but I was becoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the becoming thing, right? Like the reason God doesn't just tell us is that there's such sanctification in the wandering, right? We we become more like God in that wandering, right? Well, so for me, right, and I'm not trying to introduce new doctrine here. Right, right. Yeah, any, this isn't like way. a radical thing, yeah. No, not radical at all. In fact, it's just more than anything, it's just a way to talk about these things in a way that counterbalances the way that the world is talking about these things, because the language of the world is overtaking our Sunday school lessons and our elders quorum lessons. Like it, it's because I know the leadership language so well, sometimes I sit there and I go, wow, these people are not, we're not talking doctrine anymore. We're talking leadership guru talk. Hmm. And that's not only like too bad that we're not talking about doctrine, but it's also, it's not true. The things these leadership gurus are saying, they're not true. Hmm. And so what I'm doing is it's a, like a way to say, let's talk about it differently in a way that I believe is 100% compatible with the doctrines. Not right. that I understand them all. Right. Right. Yeah. But I have all kinds of questions that come to me like, well, if that's the purpose of our life is, is to roam from situation to situation to find meaning, does that ever stop? Is God still roaming from situation to situation in search of meaning? Create, and when I say in search, I mean creating meaning. Yeah, I think he is. I think that's why he created us because he's just continuing on forever. And that's why for me, all sense like, okay, I've sometimes been like, well, won't you get bored at some point right. when you've got everything figured out? Like, yeah. like, where's the fun? Where's the create? Well, you just keep creating and you just keep going. And I think we, we want to believe that God, he does have a plan for humanity, but does he have a master plan for his existence? Does he foresee absolutely everything that he ever was and ever will be and that ever will become of his existence? I don't know. Will we, when we talk about becoming like God, will we reach the point where we never stop having to think and act with intention in a sense of creation? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And what I appreciate like about this discussion is that, again, it's not that you're introducing new doctrine or radical doctrine or, or changing things, but 
you're giving new and maybe new language of articulating some of this, that, which separates us from the cliches where, you know, we say things so often that we sort of lose the meaning in what we, we, what we are saying. And, and, uh, this concept of, of wandering and brings new, new meaning to it all that really clarifies it. Yeah. My whole goal is to get down to the action principles, to get to the point where we can get people off the fence and say, no, you don't have to regret your life. Yeah. You know, I just, I just spent some time with a friend you know, he was telling me his story and he said, you know, I, somebody told me I should open up a smoothie business when I was in my early thirties. And a lot of other people said, that's the dumbest idea. It will never work. And I should have never done it. I lost everything, had to sell the house. We had to move. Right. Then he proceeds to tell me about all these experiences in life that he's had. And I just came back to it and I said, you didn't fail. Like you did, your business failed. But you tried to make meaning in that situation. It was context in which you were trying to make meaning. Mm -hmm. And now you moved on. And I said, look, look how rich your life is. Look how much you've experienced and how much you've changed as a result of that. Don't wish it away. So I think for me, I want to help Grandma Betty, who's 91. And I want to help her say, you have a purpose. You don't have to go search for your cause. You just need to say, this is where I live. And if God wanted me to live in a different context and have a different body or be in a different generation, he would have, but he, he didn't. I'm here. Yeah. So how do you make meaning and live the life you want to live given your constraints? Okay. And that's the same thing that goes for the elders quorum instructor or for the, you know, the uh, Relief Society temple and family history leader. It's like, you don't get to choose your calling. So just embrace fate. That's your calling. Now, how do you live the life that you want to live given the fact that that's what your calling is? So I think this is empowering to people. I think this, Absolutely. this gets yeah. people thinking and acting with intention. Yeah. Anything else? I want to make sure people know where to go to, they, they can read the book, the book ebook for free. Again, it's a short book and it's profound and helpful. But any, any other principle or concept that you wanted to go that we haven't? Man, I'm so hot on this. I could talk about this <laughs> in, in depth forever. Right. We've probably gone way over time already. No, I would say... I'd say we've, we've hit all the bases and if people okay. want to learn more, they can go yeah. check it out. And this one, I mean, and this conversation is sort of, we've modeled, it's been very, very meta because we've just sort of wandered through these things. I mean, I have some questions. We talked about some things, directions we can go, but it's in that wandering where we almost found deeper meaning and purpose in, just in, in this conversation. And we just apply that to more things in life and God's glory would be manifested through that. You know, it's awesome. So where do, where do people go if they want to check out the book for free and maybe be a part of this uh, workshop you have coming up. Yeah. So good question. So we will give, we'll make available to your people, the friends price, which is 60% off. Okay. So that's the, that's the website I'll give you. It's cruciblelife.com slash purpose slash friends. And we'll link to it in the show notes. So it's a one click away, but, and, or so they can go get the book for free and where do they get the book? It's right there on that it's same on that website. Okay. They can click a link that will take them to where the book is or, a video of me sort of summarizing and restating some of what's in the book. And if frankly, if people want to talk about this, they can just reach out to me and they yeah. can figure out how to do that on those sites too. Because th that's really why I'm here is because I know we're going to talk about these things anyway. Right. So we might as well record it. I know, right? <laughs> and then you could use it as content. <laughs> we go to lunch all the time and I think, man, that was the best podcast that nobody will ever hear. So I'm glad we recorded this time. The final question I have is just uh, if the leaders out there that are maybe they sort of understand the concept intellectually, but they're nervous leaning in and, and to begin to wander, what final encouragement would you give them? You can't steer a parked car. So if you want your life to change direction, if you want more meaning and more fulfillment and you want to reach the pinnacle, okay? So joy, I, you know, we, man are that they might have joy. That makes it sound like that's the purpose. That's not the purpose. Joy is the barometer, that tells you when you're fulfilling your purpose. So if you want to feel more fulfilled and more joyful in your life, you've got to do something different. You've got to get moving. And then trust that either your intuition or the Holy Ghost will tell you how to change direction in order to find that joy in the situation that you're in. Can't steer a parked car. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us your perspective or questions. 
If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three free sessions of the LGBT Saints Library. Thank you.